0: This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher.
1: So good to be with you once again. Hi, it is Mark Christopher here. After we go through all the desks of our award-winning staff for this past week, finding the top stories they worked on, it's kind of fun to find a place here on radio and as a podcast to share these with you once again. Or perhaps it's a first time for you to listen to. Maybe you only got a headline or two. That's the benefit of Northwest News this week. Once again, it's good to have you here. And we got a lineup of so many stories here. A slowing home sales market and growing worries over prices at the gas pump. The Environmental Protection agency marking the 50th anniversary of the clean water act with a visit to tacoma and we are seeing more warnings of potential COVID 19 winter surge just a fraction of what we have of this past week it's a chance for you to catch up to the stories here of northwest news this week ending for the week of october 22nd let's get to our first story
2: home sales in Seattle falling just as fast as they rose. According to a new market report from Zillow, home sales have dropped by 27% since August. And when you look back to September of 2021, those home sales are down by more than 40%. Zillow reports soaring interest rates are pushing buyers to the sidelines. Home sellers are getting anxious. One out of every three listings saw a price cut last month that was slightly higher than August. The average rent is just less than $2,400 a month. That's up 8% over last year year. John Lubertini, Northwest News Radio.
1: Thanks, John. President Joe Biden can hear the groaning of Americans as they dig into their wallets to pay for a tank of
3: gasoline. They're not falling fast enough. Families are hurting. You've heard me say it before, but I get it. I come from a family. If the price of gasoline went up at the gas station, we felt it.
1: That's why he's again dipping in the nation's strategic oil reserve. Andy Field covering the story for ABC and shared this with our listeners.
4: Okay, Andy, we heard from a president today who was clearly trying to talk tough, but at the same time, it was very clear he just doesn't have a lot of options
5: here. It is really true with almost all of inflation. There's not a lot that the president can do to wave a magic wand and make inflation go away. Of course, Republicans are saying, uh, blaming all those COVID programs that were passed early on in his administration for adding tremendously to inflation. Economists say that they did indeed add to inflation, but not to 8 or 9% inflation that we've seen, or even higher. Maybe one or two percentage points of that inflation came from that. The rest of it came from supply chain problems. The fact that the U.S. doesn't manufacture most of its chips, and that drove car prices higher, Uh, The U.S. uh, does not supply all its own oil. It never has. It probably never will. The war in Ukraine sent global oil prices soaring. Most, if all of that, is out of a president's control. So what he can control is the Strategic Oil Reserve, which he has pledged to release about 180 million barrels out of the 400 million that we have in storage in this country. And this newest releases 15 million barrels through the end of the year is something that the president said he had already pledged to do anyway. It just happened to be a coincidence that it's being announced three weeks before Election Day.
4: Yeah, rightly or wrongly, it seems this is a president who now clearly senses the American people blame him for what's happening at the gas pump and with the economy in general.
5: Uh, Look, Americans blame whoever's sitting in the driver's seat, whether they're Republican or Democrat for things that are going wrong, and then they give them credit for things that are going right, although they don't seem to be giving the president much credit for the fact that uh, unemployment is at some of the lowest levels our country's ever seen, that it's fairly easy to get a job anywhere. It may not be the job you want, but you can certainly get employment. Those are things that the president doesn't seem to be getting credit for, nor all the other things he passed, like the CHIPS bill, or uh, lowering costs for drugs for some Medicare patients. For a large part, the reason that he's not getting credit for it is that a lot of that hasn't kicked in yet. Some of the stuff was passed, but it takes a long time to actually show up. Infrastructure projects, roads being built, people being hired, none of that stuff happens overnight. It takes a a good number of months to do it, including this inflation reduction act, which the White House insists will start kicking in in a couple of months. It may be a couple of months too late. When the voters look at what's going on and say, you know what, maybe we need to change parties and see what happens there.
4: And of course, the president used his announcement today to push again his green energy plans. But does that really move the needle at this point in time?
5: Well, he's trying to do both. He keeps saying we can walk and chew gum at the same time. He said, yes, we're going to keep drilling for oil. He's trying to incentivize the oil companies by saying, look, we're going to buy back all this oil for the Strategic Oil Reserve at one point. The problem is, is that it may literally be a drop in the bucket for oil companies. The United States alone uses about 20 million barrels of oil a day. The president's releasing 15 million barrels over the course of a couple of weeks. That's not going to make a significant difference at the pump. It's probably not going to move the needle at all when it comes to gas prices.
1: ABC's Andy Field with us on the Northwest News Line. That's Northwest News Radio's Bill O'Neill. A recent change in the Biden administration's student debt forgiveness plan as well will mean fewer Washington borrowers qualify for relief. President Biden announced a student loan debt plan in late August, promising to forgive up to $20,000 of debt.
6: But a recent change by the U.S. Department of Education may exclude 800,000 Americans from recent- receiving the debt forgiveness they were promised. According to NPR, when the student loan debt plan was first announced, the Department of Education said those with federal family education loans issued and managed by private banks but were still guaranteed by the government could consolidate those loans into federal direct loans to qualify for loan forgiveness. But late last month, the department changed up and disqualified almost a million student loan borrowers from loan forgiveness. They now say borrowers with federal student loans Not held by the federal government cannot obtain that one time debt relief. Studentaid.gov is the website to apply. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
1: Speaking of expenses, toll revenue from the Highway 99 tunnel. This is, of course, Highway 99 underneath Seattle, way off target, meaning the project's debt. Will be on the books longer than anticipated. And what does that mean? We're finding there's all kinds of options on the table, including raising the tolls.
3: When the state planned the tunnel, no one saw the pandemic coming. And frankly, no one saw the lingering work from home policies that to this day may be keeping tunnel traffic much lighter than ever anticipated. In spite of a 15% toll increase last year, the tunnel is still 29 million in the red. Will a more significant toll increase work? It's under consideration, although everyone's noting that the first nine months of the tunnel were toll-free, and the tunnel attracted 75,000 trips a day. When tolls kicked in, daily trips sank to 20,000. The fix could actually be a tax, or it could be taking dollars from other road projects, or the money could come from that settlement we heard about last week, $77 the state's getting from tunnel contractors for cost overruns. A final decision is likely to play out in the next few years, could come as soon as the next legislative session. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio.
1: Here in Washington State, there are more jobs available than workers to fill them.
7: Washington's unemployment rate for September was 3.5 percent, what economists like Paul Turek consider full employment. hard to
2: say whether it can really go any lower. Uh, this is an historical low. We haven't really ever been this low in 46 years.
7: But he says too many jobs chasing too few workers can lead to demands for higher wages, and that can contribute to inflation. Jeff Pogel and Northwest News Radio.
1: Thank you, Jeff. They have been working for three years to come to an agreement. Now, Alaska Airlines pilots have voted to ratify a new contract.
6: They wanted better working conditions, wage increases, job security, and improved retirement terms, and they got it. After three years of negotiations, the Airline Pilots Association, the union representing Alaska Airlines pilots, has voted to ratify the new three-year contract. Included in the contract are wage increases of up to 23 percent depending on years of service. union designation schedules and increased flexibility for pilots with their schedules, stronger job security and retirement contribution increases, along with no increase to health costs. The contract becomes effective immediately. Marina Rockinger, Northwest News Radio.
1: The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has just announced another major donation, and this one designed to encourage more of us to be generous.
4: It's a $10 million donation to mark the 10th anniversary of the organization Giving Tuesday, and it will fund a database of charitable giving and other acts of generosity. Co-founder Melinda French Gates says the organization has helped people realize that there's a lot they can give, whether it's their time, expertise, or their money. This new gift also represents the Gates Foundation's ongoing efforts to encourage people to give. The Giving Pledge, which the Gates has founded with Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett, asks billionaires to donate more than half of their wealth to charitable causes within their lifetimes while giving tuesday seeks to mobilize everyone else greg
1: herschelt northwest news radio wildfire cows a way to battle wildfires and the clean water act hits a milestone these stories just ahead in our next segment a local philanthropist has given quite a boost a major boost, in fact, to the Girl Scouts.
7: Mackenzie Scott has donated more than $84 million to Girl Scouts of the USA and 29 of its local branches. The CEO of the 110-year-old organization says Scott's support means as much to them as the donation itself. The money will help the organization recover from the pandemic, which drove down membership. Specifically, the gift will go towards supporting volunteers and staff, making their camp properties more resistant to the impacts of climate change, science and technology education for youth members, and making their troops and programming more 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 accessible through diversity and inclusion programming manda factor northwest news radio
1: i'm mark christopher you're listening to northwest news this week covering the stories ending for the week of october 22nd
0: stay right where you are this is northwest news this week
1: now for the Clean Water Act milestone. This week marked the 50th anniversary
2: and the EPA came bearing gifts. The salmon population says a lot about the health of the Puget Sound. Lisa Wilson, Northwest Indian Fisheries Commission.
8: A lot of our species are going extinct right in front of our eyes. With our hatchery program, we brought nine fish back, but 2,500 of those salmon died before they could reach the spawning grounds. $36
2: million is going to add to pollution cleanup in and around the South Sound. Tacoma City Council member Sarah Rum ball.
6: Our motto right now for stormwater is, if it hits the ground, it hits the sound. Removing street dust, tire wear particles, and then the second thing we do is remove pollutant laden sediments from our stormwater pipes. But the challenges
2: are constant. New research has revealed a chemical in car tires is killing coho salmon. Janet McCabe is number two in charge at the EPA.
8: It's about the health of the creatures. It's about
9: the health of the water and the land. This is about our future.
2: But it's a constant battle. John Lobertine, Northwest News Radio. He takes what's headed for the landfill
1: and uses it to bring his community together. It's quite a story that Brian Coward of Northwest News Radio discovered and now introduces us to a Northwest man with a passion for plastic.
3: On this particular day, 24-year-old James Harris looks around the empty parking lot. We've never done it here before. It's a new space, an empty space, and all he can think about is getting ready to fill it with people. So he moves his containers into place. Then comes opening time for... James Neighbor Recycling Service. James has become kind of a recycling rock star in his Portland neighborhood, his mom, Kathy.
8: He's the James, people come to meet him.
3: (laughs) Now we'll get back to today's big event in a moment because to understand the significance of what's about to be accomplished, you need to understand a little bit more about James.
8: There were lots of struggles with communication and behavior issues. James
3: was diagnosed on the autism spectrum as a child.
8: It was difficult, very difficult. If you see him now, you wouldn't really believe it. Where he was at. A
3: young James became fascinated with recycling. As he grew, he found a way to fit in by taking things that didn't fit in to curbside recycling bins.
8: He loves recycling, so he would collect from a few neighbors.
3: Just like five or so. That number quickly grew to 200 and several large containers. Which brings us to today. Come on up. As James hosts another James Neighborhood Recycling event. People are lined up 90 minutes before opening time. Over 600 people will bring their clamshells, their plastic beer six-pack holders, and other things you can't curbside recycle because James can recycle them at three bucks a bag. This guy has 18 bags.
10: c4 is not bad. You know, for a month and a half and getting all this stuff out of our
4: landfills, it's worth it and to support this company. I knew it was going to get big, I know,
3: especially if I get this. It's awesome. These recycling events have been great. Big.
7: Lots of people.
8: Oh my gosh, so amazing what the young man has done to make this a huge success. What it means for me as a mom is that he has a place in the world. He has a job, and um, that's something that's not easy to come by for somebody on the spectrum.
3: James and his mom make sure other kids on the spectrum come and work with them on big event days so that they too can find their purpose in protecting the planet. This parent told KGW-TV. He wanted to do something that
4: was good for the planet, and then it's turned into something that's good for James.
8: To see all these people come out and support him and his dream is really, to me as a mom, wonderful. I am proud of you. Yeah.
6: (laughs) I think he's living the dream right
3: now. Yeah. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio.
1: Bill Gates is sounding surprisingly sunny these days about corporate America's response to the climate crisis. Northwest News Radio's Corwin Haig sharing here that the billionaire philanthropist spoke at a climate summit here in Seattle.
11: Gates has named climate change as one of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's primary concerns. Still, on Tuesday, he said...
0: I believe that we will be able to avoid a climate disaster.
11: Gates is attending the inaugural Breakthrough Energy Summit in Seattle, named after his own climate initiative. According to GeekWire, Gates says the private sector is now, quote, incredibly serious about developing and deploying new technologies to slow global warming. Also Tuesday, Gates released a video on his Gates Notes blog, where he shares his optimism, backed with dramatic music.
12: Private companies are making serious
0: climate commitments governments are passing advanced climate legislation as a result there are a number of clean technologies in development that cover every area of emission.
11: gates told the seattle conference he is quote quite amazed at how far corporate america has come since 2015 when he says the prevailing attitude toward climate change was let's plant a few trees Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: While Ukraine continues to claw back land taken in the Russian invasion, those two nations are also fighting over who gets to claim a pollution statistic. It seems both Ukraine and Russia want to own the pollution from the Crimean Peninsula.
13: You know, Michael, this seems like an oddly bureaucratic fight in a war that's seen mass graves and bombed hospitals. What's happening in Egypt next month that makes this matter?
0: Well, so the whole world is gathering in the Egyptian resort city of Sharm el-Sheikh next month to talk about plans for how to reduce global warming and how to reduce uh, carbon emissions. And as part of that, each country has to produce an accounting of its annual carbon emissions. That's something that Ukraine and Russia will both do, and they both want to claim the carbon emissions of Crimea. It's about establishing political legitimacy over Russia's annexation of of that peninsula and over the annexation of the other territories it's conquered in the last couple of months.
13: A UN member nations, they've already held votes that have condemned the current invasion. And the UN, like you note in your report, d- doesn't recognize Crimea as belonging to Russia. Would a Russian claim of pollution ownership really make much of a difference to the diplomats?
0: Well, that's the thing. You know, the world of security is a little different from the world of climate. And there are a lot of people in the climate world, Ukrainian policymakers were telling me, including in, in the United Nations, a lot of those U.N. policymakers who are focused on climate who say, let's just set aside its political issues back and forth, the war, let's just move forward forward and focus on emissions, and let's come up with the best global accounting of emissions that we can. Let's not worry too much about which country actually owns Crimea. Let's just try to be accurate. And Ukrainians say, no, that's that's not okay. That's actually Russia just trying to find whatever way it can to make the world community acknowledge that Crimea is part of Russia, which the Ukrainians don't want to do. So it's a lens for, for the Russians to establish dominion over Crimea in a new format where the normal alliances and and affiliations are kind of simple.
13: And Russia, they've been in Crimea for several years now. Have they tried this tactic before?
0: Yeah, the dispute over Crimea has been going on for a few years. Um, Russia did indeed um, kind of invade and then annex Crimea in 2014. It was a prelude to the conflict that we see now. Essentially, this whole time, they've been saying Ukraine is not a fully legitimate state. Ukraine has been oppressing Russian speakers in various parts of its territories. What the Ukrainians say is the way that the world community has handled this question about carbon emissions and other things wasn't pushing back hard enough against Russia and actually emboldened Russian President Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine again this year. So they say it's all part of the same uh, uh, conflict and and, and problem, and, and they say that sometimes these kinds of dry bureaucratic questions actually do lead to much more violent uh, reactions
13: on the ground. We'll see what happens as the uh, UN is going to be meeting in Egypt next month. You can read more about this online at WashingtonPost.com, including the estimate on just how much carbon pollution has been generated so far by the war in Ukraine. Michael Bierenbaum online at WashingtonPost.com.
1: New subvariants for COVID in time for winter and another lawsuit awarding millions to families of students exposed to chemicals in Monroe. Just some of the stories we will cover just ahead here for Northwest News this week, ending October the 22nd. Strategic cattle grazing may be the latest tool to help fight wildfires. Eric Heinz.
9: An Oregon State University study tested the efficiency of using virtual fence technology to confine cattle to a specific area. David Bonnert of the Eastern Oregon Agriculture Research Center says this leads cattle to graze in specific areas and create a buffer zone where there's nothing to burn
4: our target was to reduce uh, the amount of forage there by 50 percent, and we were very effective in doing that.
9: He tells KATU-TV in Portland the technology uses e-collars, similar to the ones used to fence-trained dogs, in conjunction with radar-established virtual fencing. Eric Heinz, Northwest News Radio.
1: You can catch this program as a podcast, Northwest News, this week by going to our website anytime at nwnewsradio.com.
0: I'm Mark Christopher. We're back after this. (laughs) You're listening to Northwest This Week, and now Mark Christopher. Welcome back. Doctors continue to warn of an
1: impending winter surge of COVID 19, partly because of new subvariants. Right now, it seems that the majority of the cases are in the Northeast, as New York and New Jersey have approximately 20% of the total cases of this new subvariant. That's ABC News Medical contributor Dr. Darian Sutton. Carolyn Johnson, covering the story for The Washington Post, shared this with our listeners and Northwest News Radio's Frank Lindsay.
4: You note in your report that we're entering a new evolutionary phase of the pandemic. How many variants are scientists tracking in this swarm right now?
8: Oh, goodness. <laughs> it's better. Uh, I can't keep track of them, and I think even the experts have trouble. This, it's just this, this a scramble of different names that you might have heard, like BQ.1 or VA.2.75, Um Yeah, what we're seeing now is Omicron spawning a lot of similar variant, new sublineage variants that so look really similar. What we're seeing is evolutionary pressure because there's a lot of immunity in the population now either from vaccinations or previous infections or both and what's happening is that different versions of the virus are coming up with kind of different similar solutions uh to get around that but there are different um variants they have different names there isn't just one new one the way that we were all waiting for alpha beta delta you know we're we're in a just kind of a different um yeah, different
4: states. And you quote uh, Jesse Bloom in your report, who's a viral evolution expert at Fred Hutch here in Seattle. Uh, how How are they describing the the evolutionary rate of the virus right now?
8: Very fast. <laughs> he says strikingly rapid. I think so. We have been uh, surprised by the evolution of this virus, but I think the biggest surprise last year was the emergence of Omicron because it was it was such a big evolutionary leap. And what we're seeing with these new sub-variants is more like, I guess, quote-unquote, typical evolution, I believe, where... Uh, you're not seeing something totally new jump out of the field kind of the way Omicron emerged with so many new mutations we have never seen. these new sub lineages subvariants, whatever you want to call them, they're kind of they're kind of getting one one new mutation in this key spot, then the next one has two, three, four, five, six, seven. so we're they're kind of they're kind of accumulating new mutations, and each one uh, seems to give a, a kind of an advantage in um, evading immunity. Right now, though, it's kind of unclear in the U.S. and the world, is one of them going to dominate? Will different pockets of the world have different ones of them? We're still kind of waiting to understand a bit more about the real world consequences. The one thing that's definitely clear is that the virus is not done evolving.
4: From what we can tell thus far, are the, the new subvariants that we're dealing with now, are they able to evade the vaccines and treatments that we have?
8: Um, Well, I mean, it's important to remember vaccines are kind of a really robust form of immunity. They give you, they teach your immune system at a bunch of different levels how to fight the virus. So we can see that these new variants are going to be a problem for the neutralizing antibodies that are a very important first line of defense. Um, We can see that some of them are more problematic than others, but, but the vaccines still have tremendous value because as we saw, um, with immunovating variants in the past, Omicron was one, uh, you know, you can still get a lot of good protection against hospital or death from a vaccine. So I, it's, it's not great news to see these new immunovating variants come up, but it is it isn't unexpected. And what we're seeing is that you still depending on which one, it's a little hard to know. Like there's there's some that are more challenging to the vaccine, some are less. Um, but but we're kind of seeing that. What is definitely more clear is that there is a class of treatments called monoclonal antibodies um, that are used as a prevention in immunocompromised people. There's one called Evusheld, <clears throat> and there's also some that are used as treatments. One called Debulvermab from Eli Lilly, and those are more likely to be wiped out by these new variants. And that's because they're a very specific drug. So even a even a small genetic change can can kind of render them a little bit. Before.
1: Frank Lindsay once again of Northwest News Radio. The risk of developing long COVID is double for women than it is for men. It's according
10: to a new study. The Journal of the American Medical Association published the new report from UW's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which finds that nearly two-thirds of long COVID cases, symptoms after at least three months, were in women. IHME models show the risk rate at 9.9% for women over age 20, more than double the 4.8% for men. The study's used in the modeling were all done before 2022, but a look at one UK study finds the odds of long COVID are reduced with the Omicron variant. And modelers say data suggests most long COVID cases eventually resolve themselves, but they say more study is needed beyond 12 months to get a clearer picture. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Bill Gates
1: says he is committed to ending polio as the foundation he co-chairs pours over a billion dollars into the effort. How does it all work? Northwest News Radio's Corwin Haig.
11: The $1.2 billion is in addition to $5 billion the Seattle-based Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has already pledged to its anti-polio campaign. The polio virus has become endemic in Pakistan and Afghanistan, and variants of the virus have cropped up in Africa and the U.S. The Gates Foundation says the new cash infusion will be used to implement the Foundation's Global Polio Eradication Initiative through 2026. Bill Gates tells Bloomberg News his Foundation's contribution became necessary after countries including Norway and the UK cut their planned donations to the anti-polio effort. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: The U.S. Justice Department has filed complaints against six companies that it claims were illegally manufacturing and selling vaping products. In fact, a Pierce County store is among them.
6: Just last month, the FDA released a webinar reminding vape store operators that they are required to comply with regulations. All new tobacco products require FDA market authorization orders in effect to be legally sold and or distributed to customers in the U.S. The complaints allege that the defendants caused tobacco products to become adulterated and misbranded, despite receiving warning letters from the FDA that they were in violation. Super Vapes in Lakewood, its co-owners and general manager, are named in the filing. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
1: Locally, it looks like affordability and quality of life much needed here around the Northwest. We'll get to that story just ahead. Right now, let's cover this one. There's a fourth lawsuit we found out this past week that's awarded millions to the families of students who were exposed to chemicals at a Monroe School. Here's Brian Calvert of Northwest News Radio.
3: It's the latest victory for three parents and seven students who say they suffered serious neurological injuries after being exposed to PCBs at the Sky Valley Education. Center, an alternative school in Snohomish County. In the lawsuit filed against Bayer, which owns Monsanto, the plaintiffs claim the school district knew as early as 2014 that PCBs were found on campus, and despite cleanup efforts, the chemicals were still being found in 2019. A King County jury has awarded $275 million in this latest group, the fourth to get damages from the exposure. It brings the total awarded to parents and students so far to $543 million. Bayer said in a statement it disagrees with the verdict and plans to appeal as it has with previous verdicts there are 16 more lawsuits awaiting trial brian calvert northwest news radio thanks for tuning
1: in as we continue with northwest news this week for the week of october 22nd after this
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week with Mark Christopher.
1: As we continue Northwest news this week, affordability and quality of life need some fast improvement we're learning. That's according to a new poll of Seattle voters. Ryan Harris has one surprise he found in the results, too.
10: The poll from the Seattle Metro Chamber of Commerce finds homelessness is still the top concern, although the numbers are on a steady decline in the past year, while worries about public safety have risen. Affordability and housing costs are right behind them, with a majority saying they'd accept more duplexes and triplexes in their own neighborhood to help reduce costs. That surprised pollster Andrew Thiebaud, who says in most other mainly progressive cities... You generally have strong majority saying, I support more housing to reduce... Reduce
0: housing costs. And then when you ask them about their own neighborhood, you just see a crater. And to see two-thirds say, I support the building of new housing in my neighborhood, I think is remarkable.
10: And one more takeaway on homelessness, those same progressives are part of the majority who say once shelter is available, they want homeless camps cleared, even if it means people who refuse help are displaced. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. Will King County homeowners tax themselves to save land? We'll find
1: out in a few weeks. Details on what we're talking about here from Northwest News Radio's Jeff Pol
7: That issue is King County Proposition 1. It would raise property taxes to conserve land. The idea is that the county would purchase property before developers could, slowing urban sprawl. King County Councilman Joe McDermott says it will preserve trails,
2: natural lands,
0: rivers farmlands and forests.
7: But in their voters pamphlet statement, opponents argue that property taxes in King County are high enough and more preserved land means fewer taxpayers to support such a measure. Voters will decide on whether to approve the tax next month. Jeff on Northwest News Radio.
1: As finding affordable living space gets tougher by the day in our region, there may be an answer within the hospitality industry. We found a story
3: here that tells us about a Tacoma project following a national trend. The need only seems to have been worsened by the pandemic. Our rents are just sky high. And part of the solution may come in a new life for the former vacation spots. What we saw when the pandemic struck is, is we saw even, even more demand, I think, for the uh, micro apartment style affordable housing investor david peters is talking about former motels and hotels closed or sold at low prices due to the pandemic counties and cities have converted some of these into shelters but in more and more places across the country like tacoma these motels are being converted into micro apartments we can offer the the potential residents a better value and we can offer the investors a good solid return. Building a new apartment building is risky business these days with interest rates double what they were a year ago and building material in short supply. It's less expensive and less risky to take a motel, renovate it and turn it into homes. Peters isn't the only investor who sees the potential upside.
0: I have had conversations with uh, a number of different development teams, a number of different investors uh, who are interested in purchasing these properties. Developer Steve Posey. If these hotel motel projects can come in uh, at a good price uh, and a good per door uh, uh, product, then uh, that's that's absolutely going to be a plus.
3: A handful of hotels have already made this transformation along Hosmer Street in South Tacoma. And now, a former Motel 6 in the same neighborhood will undergo a transformation into micro-apartments, giving people like this woman another option.
6: It's hard to find anything that's
14: affordable, or within my price range and without having to have three months rent.
3: And there's another benefit to the micro-apartments. Besides new housing, the motels turned micro-apartments report crime is way down. Some of these renovated spaces now have fences and even entry gates which help. It's kind of a win-win-win. The community wins, the residents win, the investors win. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Brian.
1: School's traditional two- to three-month summer vacation would go away It's under a proposal of Washington's top educator who wants to explore.
11: A newly formed balanced calendar exploratory committee made up of Washington teachers, parents, and others is hashing out the potential of a 180-day school calendar in which the long summer vacation is cut short and more one- or two-week breaks are scattered throughout the year.
0: The balanced calendar has tremendous benefits to kids. You will see an academic improvement to their standardized test scores.
11: David Hornick with the National Association for Year-Round Education addressed Washington educators in May, telling them over summer break, students tend to forget what they've learned and teachers spend weeks catching them up. I've
0: yet to meet a balanced calendar faculty and staff member who have voluntarily elected to go back to the traditional calendar.
11: Some students and their parents object, saying the balanced calendar wrecks opportunities for summer jobs and throws daycare schedules into chaos. Speaking in Yakima last week, Washington Superintendent of Public Instruction Chris Rakedahl said the state will support with grant money individual districts who decide to try it. Raikdahl said in a speech, we need early innovators to show the balanced calendar is possible anywhere. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: In the moments ahead, time to slow down our big ships on Puget Sound. Why not? They've been doing it in Canada. We'll tell you what the reason is. And Wallet Hub now shares more details of top schools here in our state. Mom and Dad, get ready to check that list. Let's get to this story, though, as the growing electricity demand brought a top official of the Biden administration to Everett in recent days. Eric Heinz with details.
9: U.S. Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm says that demand and now soaring energy prices has sparked a global race. During a visit to Tara Power's Everett Research Laboratory, she said the U.S. faces competition from Russia and China, whose governments are investing. Heavily in the development of advanced nuclear power, she told the Edward Herald the U.S. wants to have public-private partnerships with innovative companies that can leapfrog the technology and go faster. TerraPower could get as much as two billion dollars in federal matching funds for the development of small modular nuclear reactors. Eric Heintz, Northwest News Radio.
1: Northwest News. This week we put it together each and every week for you to catch up on the top stories you might have wished during the past week. Just imagine all the stories we cover here with our award-winning staff. It's great you have found a source now to catch up. And we've got a few more just ahead. Hang with us.
0: Northwest This Week continues.
1: All right, Mom and Dad, here we go. Washington State University Cougars and University of Washington Husky students have one thing in common. Neither one of their schools is number one in our state. It's a new report
4: we have. According to Wallet Hub, Whitman College in Walla Walla is ranked the best out of the state's colleges and universities. UW is ranked number two, Gonzaga University is number three, and WSU is fifth. Wallet Hub compared more than 900 higher education institutions in the U.S. across 30 key metrics. The data was grouped into seven categories, including student selectivity, cost and financing, and career outcomes. Whitman College was ranked best for student-to-faculty ratio and graduation rate. UW was best for its admission rate, as well as its gender and racial diversity. And Gonzaga took the top spot for highest median salary after school. Bill O'Neill, Northwest News Radio. A former Seattle Seahawks great helps
1: steer athletes into life after football.
12: Long before beast mode, he was the Seattle Seahawks' unstoppable force. No tight ends. Alexander trailing strong. There he is. Make it four touchdowns for Alexander on the blast right up the gut. Wow in a remarkable 2005 season Sean Alexander carried the football 370 times 1880 yards 27 rushing touchdowns it was a special Seattle team reaching the Super Bowl
14: you know uh, the line was just amazing and worked so hard like We had goals to go be great and really to change the uh, Seahawks football program around. Sean wanted
12: to stay in Seattle, but in 2008, the Seahawks cut him, and he finished his career with Washington. It was a time of transition and decisions facing many professional
14: athletes. I just took some time and thought about, well, what do I really love to do? What do I feel like I've been created on this earth to do? Um, How are we going to go get there?
12: That experience convinced Sean to create a professional leadership program with a message and mission
14: for past and current players. 78% of most uh, most guys in the NFL will end up broke two years after they retire. 80% will be divorced, separated from their spouse, or in unhealthy relationships. And you you start to ask the question, why? You have to dig in, even to my own heart, Why why is this? so bad and it's it's really because they're not leading their own lives they're not making their own decisions
12: and last sunday's home game the seahawks franchise added sean alexander to elite company sean what were the emotions the experience of seeing your name and number 37 go up in the lumen field ring
14: of honor oh man it was so special i just uh I felt loved and honored. Um, it's such a wonderful way. Sean, wife Valerie, and their children
12: live near the nation's capital, but Seattle will always have a fond place in their hearts. I'm Bill Swartz, Northwest News Radio.
1: Starting very soon, large ships entering the sound are being asked to slow down. As Northwest News Radio's Brian Calvert is going to share, it's an additional measure to make some regular guests feel a little more at home and safe.
3: For the first time, Washington will adopt an advisory on the books in British Columbia, asking cargo ships to reduce speed between 30 and 50%. This will be in effect for the shipping lanes from Port Townsend south to Kingston and Muckle Teo. Why, you ask? The idea is to cause even less interference with resident killer whales who move inland over the next couple of months to feed on salmon. Rachel Aronson, the program director of Quiet Sound, the group that funded the slowdown trial, says when large vessels slow their speed, they reduce the amount of underwater noise they create. It's a friendly environment for the whales. Slowing down means the trip to and from the Pacific will take about an hour longer. Puget Sound Pilots Executive Director Charles Costanzo tells the AP, we're supportive of the initiative and we plan to notify those piloted vessels of the suggested slowdown and ensure that ships are aware of the expectations when encountering the whales. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio.
1: From your Northwest News Station 24-7, you just got an example of how busy it's been in our newsroom this past week. We hope you found use for some of these stories and perhaps some stories you didn't know of that now you'll benefit from in hearing. Northwest News This Week is heard each week at this very time on Northwest News Radio, AM 1000 and FM 97.7. And again, also as a podcast at nwnewsradio.com, where you'll find favorites like Politicast, Lifebeat, and Puget Sound now. And if you enjoy the program as a podcast, we hope you'll share a radio and review it's simple it's quick and we so much appreciate it just go to apple podcast for details northwest news this week is produced by bill o'neill editor and tech advisor painter webb there you go once again for all the top stories ending for the week of october 22nd on behalf of all of us here at northwest news radio i'm mark christopher thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time